Hi, my name is Mattia Murray, and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Welcome. Today I have, I think, a very fun topic, which is kittens. And specifically, what I've been learning and thinking about consent while I've been basically unwilding a couple of feral kittens in my neighborhood. So to briefly tell the story side of this, my cat, who I'd had for 15 years, died three months ago now. And about a month later, a kitten showed up in our backyard, came right up to our back door, and was, you know, saying hi. And we still had some treats left, so I was giving the kitten treats. And after a bit, this kitten brought over what was very obviously its sibling. They're almost the same size, exact same coloring, except one of them has more white on them. And we ended up, after interacting with these kittens, giving them names, Kronk and Yzma. Kronk is the bigger one. Yzma is the one you can you can see Yzma making plans and actually kind of enacting them. So that's kind of where that came from. And we've just been buying food, putting it out, and sort of trying to see if they want to come inside. So they've both spent some time inside. Yzma is getting pretty handleable now, so I actually can pet her, brush her, uh, touch her paw pads. Like she, she's decided I'm a safe person. And Kronk sort of puts up with a little bit of touching, but does not love it. And he used to come inside and now is not. So that's kind of the background of what I'm talking about. And this has really gotten me thinking deeply about consent and specifically how we treat and think about ourselves. So my partner and I have been talking a lot about what might happen with the kittens. At first, when they were both coming inside, we were like, oh, great, they might just both want to move in. And when they sort of split more where Yzma decided being inside was awesome and Kronk does not want to be inside, he seems very, very skeptical, we started having the conversation about what's best for them. So I do feel pretty strongly that getting one or preferably both of them fixed before spring is a good idea because kittens will have kittens. And there's already a huge stray cat issue here where I live in Philadelphia. So, you know, we both ideally help not add to that, but also, you know, it's for their wellness and safety. And I was thinking about how that to me feels like a more clear decision that that is better for them and for any, you know, resulting kittens. But it's not as clear to me that, for example, trapping them inside if they don't want to be inside is better for them, even if there are ways to do that where they could get used to it. So I know people do crate training. I know you can, you know, lock them in a room. In this case, we'd be locking them in. The only space we have that we could really do that is a bathroom with no windows. And they're outdoor cats. They're now probably, I'd guess, around six months old. I think they were about four months old when they started coming around. I don't feel great about that from a consent standpoint to take cats who are, you know, kittens who are very playful, want a lot of attention. Even if they're together, they would be so fucking miserable trapped in a bathroom. And I just don't feel good making that choice unless, again, it's a very temporary occasional thing, you know, because 
we need to leave or something. But that's the other part of the conversation is if we take in two kittens, we basically can't leave the house for, you know, (laughs) more than an hour at a time for a long time, probably, you know, they need a lot of attention. So we're having all those conversations right now. Very likely we're going to buy a nice thing to go in the backyard that they can actually sleep in as it gets colder. And that feels like a good sort of temporary measure. And Yzma is very close to wanting to just sleep inside. So we're figuring that out as well, because I assume it would not work well to just take one of them in because they're very close and they hang out together all the time. So I feel like if we took one of them in, the other one would just be screaming at the door. It's a whole thing. So again, we're having these conversations. We're trying to figure out what's best. And I've really been thinking about how we treat ourselves and how we're trained to treat ourselves almost like we are training or not even training in a good way, like forcing a kitten, forcing a wild animal to behave and do what it's supposed to do. So for example, and I apologize to anyone if this strikes you oddly, but my experience working a lot of day jobs And in particular, because, and this is actually pretty common for autistic people to not really be advancing in a career, but just kind of be working entry-level jobs. That's pretty much what I was doing when I was working day jobs for a lot of reasons. And to me, it always had a little bit of the vibe of being trapped in the bathroom with no windows. Like there was a part of it that just did not work well for my system. And in that particular example, I recognized how it was not working for me, especially with the cycles of the seasons, like in the winter, it was always a lot harder for me, etc. The commute would often really wipe me out if I had a longer commute being on the train, etc. So I recognized that I felt trapped and that it did not feel good. But I think this goes deeper for me, this example really to the ways that we are trained to force ourselves to do things that don't feel good without necessarily even recognizing why we feel bad. And then essentially being told that there's something wrong with us or our brain or our brain chemistry if we're not having a good time being trapped in a situation that's really not well suited to our animal bodies. And certainly one example I think of with that is autistic masking in general. So having to pretend or, you know, put on an act, but that's also, that's so different for different people and we do it for different reasons. I don't think it's necessarily automatically a bad thing. I think being, having the space and the privilege to be able to mask less tends to be a good thing for a lot of autistic people. But again, that's such a complicated topic that, okay, I'm not going to use that as the example here. I think for me, actually, one way that this has come out is feeling trapped in the cycle of self-improvement and self-help. And in particular, something I've been thinking about a lot is this idea that you can still be what, I mean, what to me feels happy and healthy while still having some trauma in your body. You don't need to heal perfectly or get rid of every single negative impulse or, you know, bit of trauma inside you. If anything, I think 
sometimes there are things that for me, just kind of leaving them alone and not looking at them again has actually been very freeing. And again, that's a totally personal thing where that line is for you. But again, the sort of self-help industrial complex, the, you know, you need to buy this thing to feel better. Part of that is behind it. I think there's this idea that you have to fix everything in order to be happy and healthy versus, you know, what do you need to do to be able to do the things that take care of your body and to take care of your animal body specifically so that you can be happy enough and healthy is such a fraught word anyway, but you know, to be healthy enough to again, be able to do those things or get the help to do the things that you need in your life. So for me, I remember a point a couple of years ago when I was really digging into the somatic work, which again, for me was incredibly helpful. I'm so, so, so glad I did it. And for me, it was sort of a process of integration because there were a lot of things I had done in talk therapy over 15 years of talk therapy that I understood intellectually, but they had not landed in my body. And so for me, the somatic work was that. It was, okay, let's take all this work you've done and actually have it land so you can actually feel, in my case, like I am enough, I'm doing okay, you know, I can handle what's happening, all those things that I needed to feel in my body. And I remember this point where a couple of years ago where I was feeling so much better, so many things had improved. And I had this moment where I was just like, I could take a break from this work. I don't need to kind of keep hammering away at my trauma right now because I'm actually in a pretty good place. And the interesting thing about some of the body-based work is it's almost like it's a process that just keeps going once it's started. You don't necessarily need to really actively be working on it. I guess that's what I would call integration, right? So integration is a process sometimes that once it gets started, it can just sort of continue on its own. And I remember this moment where I kind of had this little, I mean, it was anxiety. It was my anxious brain going, oh no, but like if I don't keep working, if I don't keep staring at these problems, if I don't keep, you know, stay plugged into it, I'm never going to get better. And then somehow that translates to, I'm not going to, you know, be who I want to be or have the life I want. And I remember having this moment where I was just like, you know, I could kind of just stop now and that it would be okay. I still was having some anxiety symptoms. I was still having some PTSD symptoms, but like I could have just stayed the way that I was, <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago and been okay. And that was a huge breakthrough for me. Again, to kind of connect it back to that, I'm using this as this extended metaphor of being, you know, kind of trapped in the bathroom as a kitten, right? There was a part of me that felt trapped in this, I just need to heal more. I just need to, you know, figure this out because I had some imaginary idea of being perfectly well, which in my mind was linked with being pretty much happy all the time. And 
that as sort of a perfect ideal was not helpful for me. It just felt like a societal trap that I was in. So the question that this brings up for me, all of the stuff I said already today, it's what I've been thinking about with these kittens specifically and what I'm thinking about with myself and a question I'm offering you. What is really best? What is actually best for, again, these animal bodies? And how many chances have we had to feel what's actually best for our animal bodies? For me, not very many, because when do we actually get to do that, right? We're in such, in certain ways, structures that are the opposite of what our animal body wants some of the time. And I'm not saying you need to, you know, go live in the woods or get rid of all your technology or anything. It's not that. It's just, you know, we're living these lives that are in certain ways, to a large degree, almost the opposite of how we evolved. And I think there are ways to create space and play within that, that give us ways of finding what works for us. Again, without just throwing out the whole thing, because I love the idea of living in the woods, but I think, you know, I live in a city for a reason. I chose that for a reason. And there are things I really love about it. And at the same time, I know that my body wants more nature. That's something that keeps coming up for me is, you know, I actually, I have to walk a couple blocks before I could even put my feet on grass. And I've actually, it's been a while since I've lived that way where it's actually a little bit hard for me to get to just nature. And that park a couple blocks away is, you know, there's some grass, but it's, you know, it's not like the big swaths of nature that I've usually had access to. And when I think back to when I've felt completely relaxed and in this, you know, feeling what's best for my animal body, one of the times for me is when I have extended times in nature. So sometimes that's camping, not always because camping can also be hard, but I have had a couple of camping trips where I was just like, wow, I can feel that the stress in my body, the latent stress in my body is literally the lowest it could possibly be for me right now. And that's, you know, one time I've had that experience on other times in nature, it's not camping, but just, you know, being in say viewing a mountain vista, which is always, you know, that feeling of awe is something that really does something in the human brain. So again, I don't really have like a big answer around all of this. I'm not, you know, saying you should do any particular thing. It's really just, I have this big question of what's really best and what really honors deeply the consent of my body. And another place that takes my brain thinking about neurodivergence in general is that a lot of the conversation I've experienced around neurodivergence up until fairly recently has been around fixing, healing, changing, you know, becoming normal. And now, you know, we have brain studies looking at, for example, autistic brains that they are different at the molecular level. They're different across the entire brain. Every portion of the brain is just different. It's not worse. It's just different. And it's more sensitive. And the biggest changes are in areas of perception. So we're taking in more data. We're more sensitive. And 
yeah, that's going to change what my animal body is going to want and need. So when I think about what's really best for me, and again, this is, you know, just me speaking for me, all autistic people are different. I need a lot of space and time and recovery time after big social things or big pushes in my work. And as I've experimented with that, I've realized I need about three times as much rest as I initially thought when I first started experimenting with this. So I used to treat myself almost like, again, not like I would treat a kitten, but like, you know, maybe someone might treat a kitten if they were just trying to get them to do the right thing and not seeing the kitten as like its own person with a personality. I was treating myself a bit like I just needed to trick myself into being as productive as possible. And I just hate that approach so much. And I'm not willing to do that to myself or to help anyone else do that as well. At this point, it's, you know, I don't think it works long term. It can work in the short term, but ultimately, to go back to these specific kittens that I'm sort of courting, I want them to want to be here. And I want my brain and my body to want to do the work that I'm doing, especially since I'm my own boss, so I'm making it all up. So if I'm being mean to myself, <laughs> I've heard other self-employed people talk about this, like, oh, my boss sucks, but it's me, you know, I don't want to live like that. And I don't have to because this is all just up to me to decide what's best. And, you know, within that, figuring out what works and switching gears a little bit. The other thing this has really gotten me thinking about the kittens and consent thing is I realized that this is really how I think about marketing, which is hilarious. So <laughs> I don't know if this comes across, but if you, you know, follow me on social media, so not the Longer Road podcast where I really am just posting podcast episodes, but if you follow me on other social media or if you're on my email list, you may have noticed I don't have a strategy or any kind of real branding. You know, I don't use all the things that people say you're supposed to do. I just don't really give a shit. And Again, this kind of comes back to what works for me, what's best for my body. To me, just being myself and sort of, I really do see it as inviting people in. And this is very much what I'm doing with the kittens right now, right? I'm inviting them into my house. If they want to hang out with me and receive, in Yzma's case, a lot of cuddling and petting and, you know, being brushed for like an hour a day, which she loves. <laughs> I don't know what the analogy is for that in my work, but you know, if, if people want to receive from me what I do best, I'm just inviting them in and it's just an invitation. I don't see it as, you know, trying to create some other version of myself or present some particular thing because again, what's best for me is being myself as much as possible throughout all of my work. So it doesn't make sense to me to present a different image and then invite people inside and have it be different. I'm like, I want you to know 
what you're getting into, right? I'm weird. I swear sometimes, you know, you hear that on the podcast, not all the time, but like it happens. If you don't like that, you're probably not going to want to hang out with me. You know, I'm queer. I'm irreverent. Uh, I don't really give a shit about a lot of societal rules. So, you know, somebody's not going to come to me for help following societal rules, for example. And I've been spending literally around two hours a day with the kittens for the last two months. So this has showed me two things. One, I really need a soft animal to co-regulate with. It's deeply calming to me. My cat Darcy was a registered emotional support animal. And not having that, I just realized, wow, this is a thing I was really relying on. And not only am I getting a lot out of it, but I know that cats like mindful attention. I'm very engaged when I'm spending time with them. You know, it's, there is, when you have a cat in your house, I know there's sometimes just the sitting and you're both sitting in the same place, but in the case of the kittens, mostly being outside, I'm very actively engaged with them. I'm playing with them with toys. You know, I'm hand feeding them treats, etc. So it's this very active giving them attention. And I realized that part of that for me is I love being present and giving what I consider special gifts that I have, one of which is this very mindfully present focus when I'm with other people or other animals. I think it's one reason I have such a strong connection to animals is they respond well to my very mindful attention on them. And when people work with me or make art with me, collaborate with me, one of the things that I bring to the table is this very intuitive and I really try to connect with them and pick up on what they're putting down. There's a joke I've heard a bunch of times, am I psychic or just autistic? Because the pattern-seeking brain can really put these pieces together in a way that can come across as, you know, there's these very intuitive or quote psychic gifts, which, you know, again, I don't know what it is, but I definitely have that, whatever it is. And it's not something that I really advertise or put out there. It's not why I'm bringing people into my circle, but it's kind of like once they're there, once someone has kind of stepped into my space I give them everything I've got, which it turns out is considerable. And once I'm co-regulating with someone and co-solving their problems, I just bring my entire brilliant brain to it and, you know, everything I know. So I don't really follow the type of coaching where you never give advice and it's just trying to get the other person to give the answer, even though in a lot of cases, I think that is the right move. Sometimes people just need to hear, oh, here are four different things you could try. Or, you know, if it's just a really specific how-to problem, okay, yeah, here are some things that work. Rather than trying to make them come up with something if they don't even have the idea, if that makes sense. So anyway, I'm bringing my whole brain, my entire creative world, and everything that I can to every close encounter where I care about the person. And with the kittens, I'm noticing this so much because it feels like nothing to me to spend 
an hour or two a day with them, which is funny because I think if any person besides, you know, my nesting partner were asking me for that amount of time, I would be like, really, you want that? (laughs) But I know that with the kittens, that's, you know, just a huge part of what they need is just this attention, this time, this, you know, physical touch, all of these just basic animal needs. And I love doing that. And it feels really deeply nourishing for me. If you like me and or my work, I guess and, I think in this case, if you like me and my work, if there's anything that speaks to you about what I'm putting out in the world, I'm really super passionate right now about this love your brain idea. So I have this program called love your brain, but my goal is not just to do that, but to continue to build out other programs and structures and, you know, potentially courses or one-off things around it that are accessible to everyone. Because I know that six months of one-on-one support is not for everyone for a lot of reasons. And I'm building the core program, the six month around what I know works and what I know I can actually guarantee the results for. So for that, if you want to hear more about that, I'll link to that in the show notes, but very briefly, we are simultaneously over six months, significantly healing your nervous system. So getting your brain and body on board and working on a big creative project. And the reason those work so well together is because when you're working on a big creative project and or business project for entrepreneurial creatives, it brings up all your shit. The way that I'm thinking about this program is over the course of six months, we are taking you to the next level. So this is for creatives who've already laid a good foundation, you know, probably done some therapy or coaching before you've worked on some of your stuff. This is not your first thing that you're doing, but you're still feeling just like the work you've done is not integrating or not paying off in the way that you want it to. And you want to go to the next level. We're going to take you to the next level creatively, but you're going to feel good when you get there. You're going to feel good expanding and taking up that space in the world. And that's what I want for everyone. So obviously if that's the program for you, if love your brain is right for you, it's a very small program, just three to six people. And if you want to join the January cohort, I'm asking people to apply by December 17th, which is a week from today. And I designed the application to help you dream big. And I'm actually inviting anyone to do the application who's interested in this work and this concept, even if you don't think the six month is necessarily right for you, because first of all, it's just going to help you dream big because that's how I designed it. And you can also just take the questions. I have them on the website uh, as a Google Doc, so you can also just take them and answer them on your own if that feels better for you. But if you want to help guide me to create more, again, smaller or accessible programming around the idea of Love Your Brain, I'm inviting people to do the application and I'm going to literally be making things that people need and that people are asking me for because I love responding to real community needs. So you're welcome to do that if you want to, and that you can do anytime. But again, if you're even thinking you might want to do be in the January cohort, 
I invite you to apply by next week. And the way that I'm thinking about all of this work around this idea, everything that I'm really passionate about right now, it's about helping take people to the next level. And the six-month program is really for mid-career people, again, who've done a good amount of work and are really looking to, you know, level up in that way. But I'm also thinking about other people I've helped who are closer to the beginning of their journey, who need more support, but maybe the supports that they're getting aren't geared toward their neurodivergent and brilliant brain. And I want to create supports at a variety of levels. So that's my goal. I have this sort of core program where it's exciting to me and I'm like ready to help. I'm excited to get these folks going and it's going to give me the time and space to create other things around it. And all of that, like part of why I'm being transparent about what I'm building and in what order and who I'm passionate about helping and why, I guess the why maybe isn't as obvious, but it's partly that I really believe that more creative people and especially neurodivergent creative people having stable lives and holistic creative practices that can actually support them and their families. I think that that's incredibly powerful and we need more of that in the world. So that's part of, you know, what I'm trying to build and help people do. Part of me being transparent about this is going back to this consent thing. I want the people who love me and my work and are stepping into the space that I'm creating, I want them to know what it is and why I'm making it and why I care. Because part of me being deeply connected to my animal self is just being genuine and honest and letting people know, hey, here's what's up. Here's what I'm doing. And I try to infuse that into everything I do. And funnily enough, I think if I was doing the correct thing and just telling you what the program is and I don't know, giving you a call to action or whatever, this section would have been a lot shorter in the podcast. Part of the reason I'm talking about it and explaining it is because part of what's interesting to me is letting people peek behind the curtain and see what I'm doing. And if you have any specific questions that you'd like me to answer, you can definitely send them to me. I'm happy to talk about this more, but I feel incredibly grateful to have built both a creative practice and a creatively oriented business that support me and my animal body and let me have a very flexible schedule. And it's just, I really didn't think I would get here. So I hope that hearing me talk about this a little bit more also just lets you know that you can create a life that works for you, even though I'm sure it'll look very different than mine. It's, the point is not to create something like mine. It's just this idea that you can do it. And if you need support, there's support out there. And it's just this ever evolving <laughs> ability to ask for help and receive it and, you know, receive what's coming in and then have just a little bit more capacity to create more if you want to. Thanks for listening. I love inviting you into this intimate space with me. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. 
If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at MattiaMarie.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.